Hello, everyone. <laughs> uh, welcome to the Get to Know Me podcast. Um, today, I have three lovely human beings with me, um, and we are going to be talking about eating disorders. Um, so we did a podcast, I did a podcast with Eva Echo a few weeks ago, maybe coming up to a month. So if anyone is interested in listening to other stuff about eating disorders, that one is available on Spotify as well. Um, but if you guys, um, maybe we'll do a little introduction of everyone, um, basically kind of talking about your names, pronouns, where you're at in life. Um, yeah. If we start, let me just see the order that you guys are in. Sophie, do you want to do a little introduction? Uh, yeah, can do. Um, so my name's Sophie, I'm 19, well, nearly 20, um, and um, yeah, I work at the Sheffield Children's Hospital as a um, support worker on critical care, so that's like where my interests lie in um, like nursing and stuff, which I'd, I mean, like, I want to be a nurse, um, but I didn't realise that until after treatment, so that's something that like my eating disorder had given me, yeah. is um, finding what career I want to do. Cool, amazing. Um, and just to double check your pronouns. She, her. <laughs> Perfect, cool, thank you. Um, and Shannon? Uh, I'm Shannon, I'm 25 and I'm a primary school teacher. Uh, finished university just under two years ago. So I've just completed my, I'm now in my second year of um, being a primary school teacher. I work with year six, uh, but I've taught year five as well. Uh, my pronouns are she, her. Thank you. And Paige? Hi, my name is Paige Parker. I'm 26 years old. I, she, her are my pronouns. Um, I'm currently in between jobs. I don't get to start my new job until the 4th of May due to the pandemic. And I think that I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> no worries, I lost my just pronouns, name, and then job, whatever, whatever you kind of want to share in the uh, in the intro. But that's that's perfect. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I might as well do one for me as well. My name is Emma. Um, pronouns are she, her. Um, I am studying psychology, um, which has probably helped with my sort of insight into eating disorders on a more sort of kind of dry but also helpful in some cases in terms of treatment um like yeah some sometimes it's academic stuff is a little bit boring but uh, other times it can be super helpful but basically i am very interested in eating eating disorders from having had an eating disorder myself still in recovery um but also i have just not had the best experiences with treatment so i kind of want to speak to you guys about what your experiences have been and kind of, you know, on a low level basis, but you know, we got to start somewhere. How can we make a change? How can we make it better? Because eating disorders are a very, very complex illness and they often aren't actually focused on, I want to be skinny. It's actually something else. Um, and yeah, I mean, even it doesn't have to be skinny. It can be loads of other things, but Anyways, basically what I want to talk to you guys about is your experiences with eating disorders and how how can we make it better for other people that have eating disorders. 
Um, so I don't know if you want to, Sophie, let's just go in the same order again. If you want to tell us about um, your experiences with eating disorders, if you've ever been diagnosed, if so, with what and kind of where you're at in your in your experience at the moment. Uh, yeah, so um, I think I started struggling with my eating at the, about the age of 13. Um, I wasn't diagnosed until I was 16 and I was diagnosed with um, anorexia nervosa. Um, I've had various different types of treatment. Um, treatment didn't really start until, I mean, I was in services at 16, but I wouldn't say treatment really started until I was about 17. Um, that was after I was admitted to um like my general hospital um, and so I just underwent different types of like CBT kind of like talking therapy yeah. um, but then later that year um, treatment turned into like inpatient treatment in a hospital um, where I mean I guess in hospital nine times out of ten your treatment focuses weight restoration and then sometimes if available you'll get therapy um, I was lucky enough to get some therapy. Um, it was again CBT, DBT based, um, more of like a talking therapy. Yeah. Um, and then when I was discharged, I actually transitioned from CAMS to adults, um, which can be quite a difficult transfer. Like a lot of people find it difficult because then they work very, very differently. Right. Um, I was lucky in that my adult team were actually really good, and so were my CAMS team. So. Um, since then, again, it was kind of like talking um, therapy. And then, um, so then this last year in the pandemic, I actually, I moved, um, I moved houses. So I needed to join a different service, like a different trust. Um, and that was during COVID was actually my biggest, like kind of relapse. Right. Um, and but I managed to avoid hospital and I like did it myself with my like with my new team I did do like a day service program and um, which was like on zoom and everything because of covid um but definitely like now like I would say that I am like mentally the best I've ever been um and so yeah just continuing to to work at it yeah good what would you say the the difference between the what did you call it cam and then adult cams cams right. and adult. sorry does someone have something beeping i'm just I, hear, I keep hearing like a beep sound like that do you hear that is it just me did my laptop <laughs> no wait that yeah that it's my blind oh <laughs> <laughs> I was like, is there messages popping in? I can't figure out what it is. It's because the window was open, so it was blowing. Sorry. Oh, no, all good. No worries. Um, yeah, sorry. So what would you say the, the difference is? Because you said the transfer can be quite hard, but what what's the difference? Um, so in CAMS, it's very, very much patient um, parent-centered, if that makes sense. Right. In the sense that basically you have absolutely no control over anything. Everything's done for you. Right. Um, but then adults, it's very much you're on your own. If you decide that you don't want to commit to recovery, then they'll just discharge you nine times out of ten. If you're not willing to work with them, then they're not willing to work with you. Right. Um, and also getting into it, like if you get discharged from CAMS and then when you're older, you need um, 
like readmitting or like to a service Mm. it's much harder to get referred to an adult service than it is to camps okay that's what I found anyway right okay yeah yeah so the transfer for you wasn't did you say it wasn't actually too bad which is obviously great but how like did you did you live in the hospital in the adult ward as well no so I um was on the cams ward Mm -hmm. um like the children's ward for um, I was there for nine months and I, I was 17 and then I turned 18 and I managed to get my home team to give funding for an extra two months for me to stay at that hospital to finish my treatment instead of transferring me to an adult ward yeah um so that's where so then in that two months um my cams worker liaised with my new adult worker and we had like a new uh, like a transitioning period where like I would meet him and um my old worker like came with me to like and they sort of did the whole like without me like this is Sophie this is what this is her history so that I didn't have to like delve into like all of it like again if that makes sense yeah 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 for sure yeah amazing but you're home now which is obviously a good thing I'm assuming yeah amazing great thank you um Shannon so do you want to kind of do the same introduce what your experiences have been so far what if you've had a diagnosis um what it's been and kind of where you're at um in your life with your eating disorder now yeah so uh when I was around 13 I think it was 13 14 um my mum had taken me to the doctors because she'd noticed that I'd lost quite a bit of weight I was quite lethargic and just wasn't myself um and they referred me to the same place that Sophie had been to the child and adolescent mental health service Mm. and I had an initial assessment there um and they'd sort of suggested lots of different mental health issues um OCD I was diagnosed with um agoraphobia panic attacks and then they suggested anorexia but it wasn't until I was then referred on to a specialist eating clinic as an outpatient that they did diagnose me with anorexia nervosa Um, I was an outpatient throughout my experience. Um, I was at a facility about 30 miles from me. I had to go on a weekly basis, but it was very much like Sophie said, my mum was very much in control and I didn't really have a big part in my recovery or my treatment. Everything that was asked was asked towards her rather than me. So she answered a lot of the questions. Um, I found it quite difficult with the team that I was working with um, just sort of sitting and being questioned about my own dietary choices um, because I was sat opposite two women therapists, one who to me looked quite underweight um, and the other who was, I would say, the opposite end of the weight scale. They would ask me questions and each week I'd leave and I'd get quite frustrated and I'd say to mum, like, I don't have a problem. I was very much in denial. I was like, these two people that are sat in front of me are probably more likely to need help than I am. And I was quite sort of frustrated at that, um, that I didn't feel like I was being supported by people that knew what they were talking about. I kind of felt a bit sort of let down in some ways that I was given people that I felt I couldn't relate to at all and I didn't want to open up to. Um, I was there for quite a long time. um, And then in between those visits, had to go back to the initial CAMS guy that referred me. Um, And he had said to me, like, how is treatment going? And I said, yeah, it's going really well. Um, And he was like, well, 
from what they've said, it's not going particularly well. And I felt like the goals that they were setting me just weren't achievable. They would always put like a certain weight limit. They wanted me to reach by a certain point and I had to keep a food diary. And I just felt that I was never going to achieve what they wanted me to achieve. It was never about a specific, you get there when you need to. It was by six weeks time, you need to hit this point. By 10 weeks time, you need to hit this point. And it just, it didn't feel supported at all. It was just go away, keep your food diary. And then we expect you to have come back and put on yeah. weight. Yeah, and they always tried to find the cause of it. So what's happening in your life? What have you been through? And what like they never found like what the root cause of things was, but they just constantly asked questions that I felt I couldn't answer. Mm. Um, I remember going back to a CAMS appointment and him saying to me, like, at this point, they want us to admit you. And I was like, what do you mean admit me? And they said as an inpatient. And my mum had basically asked sort of why it got to this point because I hadn't lost any more weight I was starting to gain weight but quite slowly and she'd ask sort of why is it that now things are suddenly changing in the worst direction you know she is making progress and although I was putting on weight mentally they felt that I wasn't able to do it in the service that I was currently in they felt like I wasn't making as much progress as they'd hoped I would so they'd said um, that they would be speaking to my school to find out academically how they could support me whilst I was an inpatient. And I remember going through lots of different meetings with CAMS, with the women at the clinic that I was at an out, as an outpatient with, my head teacher, my class teacher at school. And the only thing that prevented me from becoming an inpatient was that they said my schoolwork somehow wasn't suffering at all. I was still getting like A grades and everything that I did. Yeah. So they didn't want me to become an inpatient for my grades to slip. So they'd said I could change therapists, but stick with the same service and see how I got on. And then they'd reassess. But as long as I could keep my grades up and slowly make progress, they'd accept that as long as I could change therapists. And I did change therapists and things were easier and I did eventually get my weight up to where it needed to be, but it was a longer road than I thought it would be. And I didn't feel very supported and it didn't feel like my journey. It felt like my mum's journey. Mm. Although I was the one that had to make the changes, all of the questions were directed at her and they'd talk to her about my treatment plan and I'd be asked to leave the room whilst they spoke to her. Right. And I know that like in sort of lots of medical situations, like even when I was a teenager and sort of going to the doctors and talking about being put on the pill they'd ask your parents to leave them they'd want to talk to you mm. whereas in the eating disorder clinics it was always okay we want to talk to mum now can you leave the room yeah they'd never have conversations just with me it was always me and mum or just mum and I, yeah. I just didn't feel very supported in that sense yeah 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 and also not saying that that's your case at all but sometimes I know from like people that I've spoken to before the parents can be a very contributing factor so actually talking to the child like independently it's I mean I would personally recommend that yeah <laughs> um yeah oh that's not not what I like to hear that's sad um yeah where are you at now a heck of a lot better so this was when I was around I left the service at around 40 end of 14 age 15 um finished my final year of school and then things started to really improve I had a couple of dips when I was away at university in my very early 20s but now I can maintain a healthy weight don't have issues that I'm ever concerned about um there are still certain elements like I won't eat if I'm anxious I don't eat before I'm about to go out the house 
Um, I'm always conscious that I don't eat in restaurants, things like that. So I still have elements of issues with eating, but nothing like it was years ago. Yeah, yeah. Are you still in treatment? Or? No, so I've, I've had therapy as sort of CBT, like Sophie said, cognitive behavioral therapy mm. um, on and off for various different things. And they've always sort of brought up, has there ever been issues with eating? Have you ever been diagnosed with an eating disorder? And we've kind of touched on that in various therapies that I've had, but it's not something that I'm currently in therapy for. Yeah, yeah. How have you found, both you and Sophie, how have you found CBT? Because I know that, that it's that's a very that's like the most commonly used approach to eating disorders I think it's pretty much the most common approach in England anyway for most things and for eating disorders it's one of the least effective so I'm trying to understand why on earth they're still using that when it's not really proven to be very effective but how have you found it? Sophie? Um, Personally I hate it yeah I really didn't like it Um, I I mean, like the amount of times, and I know it's not really CBT, but I've been asked to do mindfulness. Mm -hmm. I'm like, do not even breach the subject with me because I hate it. Um, And yeah, I think I don't like CBT at all. I never have done. Like some of the exercises I think can be really good. Like I know like different ones where you write to like anorexia is your friend or and then anorexia is your enemy and stuff. Like when I was in hospital, like I found some of those quite useful. as like a one-off but every single session doing CBT is I didn't find it helpful um and the times I've probably made most progress is more just general talking therapy like how are you feeling today like how how is this going how is that going like not necessarily like it's the same with DBT like for like other mental health issues and like distress tolerance I'm just like no (laughs) yeah yeah, Shannon, how have you how have you found it? I'm, I'm the same. I, I don't understand the point of it. Um, there have been elements um, that I've, in other situations, felt that CBT has helped with things like anxiety. Um, but with eating disorders, I, I don't understand the point. Um, within two sessions, I was told that it was all in my head and it's all about being able to change the way that your mind thinks, which I was, I was like, okay, yeah, we do need to change the way that my mind thinks. And they were saying that like my mind was the enemy and then I, need, I needed to be able to change my brain. And I was like, no, I need to change the way I'm thinking that I know your brain is wired wrong. And I just felt that I kind of felt a bit broken in that sense. Yeah. Like I need to fix myself. Um, and I didn't get on with that therapist at all, changed to a different behavioural therapist. And within a couple of sessions, they wanted me to go out to a restaurant and eat in front of them. And I just felt that it was very unusual to go straight for exposure. Yeah, yeah. Not really knowing a huge amount. Like they sort of said, you know, how long were you in therapy for? And what, you know, what was your weight when you went in? What was your weight when you came out? Um but it was kind of, okay, we've only got six weeks together. We're going to go straight for exposure and you're going to come to a restaurant and you're going to eat in front of me and just talk me through the process. And I, that's not how things are going to work with me. That's <laughs> like throwing yeah. someone in the pool and being like, you now need to learn how to swim. Like, I yes. don't that's necessarily very effective. It just that's... didn't work. So I, I left and decided that CBT after two different attempts just wasn't going to work in that sense for me. Oh, God. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, I could talk about CBT for <laughs> for a lot of things, but yeah, I uh, I agree that I don't think that that's a, a 
particularly useful uh, approach. But yeah, so, so for you, you've since done stuff that's then been helpful. Has it been more sort of the like just being in the the what do you call it facility? Yeah, like I don't know. Like I think um, so for me. I found that going into hospital um, for that period of time was really beneficial because it almost gave myself and my family a bit of a break, a bit of rest, a re bit of respite because like things were really, really difficult at home. It, I wouldn't say that necessarily the CBT like helped me. Um, I think it was more like being given that break and like being able to realize that actually if I don't, the only person that was ever going to get themselves out of hospital was me. Mm. Um, like no one else could do it for me. Um, so I think that really helped me. But then I'd, I thought for ages that I was doing really well. I was like, oh yeah, I'm doing well. But actually I wasn't. I was just maintaining my weight, but being very disordered. So like I was still pleasing my eating disorder, but in different ways. Yeah. And since then, I've actually found that the thing that's helped me most is very, very slowly pushing and pushing the boundaries. Um, when I moved up to live with um, my partner, like we, um, she also has an eating disorder and we were away in Edinburgh one time and we said, I said, I said, we can't do this anymore. So like, we can't count calories anymore, things like that. And just had to like go cold turkey. And I'd always, always been against going all in. I was always like, no, it's absolutely not for me. And I wouldn't say I went all in, all in, but I went, I jumped a lot further than I ever have. And being able to like do things, enjoy them and realize that the world didn't end. Mm. I found quite helpful. And also like having someone to speak to, like in my new service, like about that, like being like, okay, like this happened. Yeah. Um, and like sometimes like I did find it really difficult and sometimes things did go wrong. But like now, like there's so many things I do like nowadays that I literally never would have even thought about doing yeah so yeah I think just general like like just being able to talk to people and also I found it really helpful that it's all well and good like when like when cams have like control of like your treatment and you're doing things like with like your parents or whatever like mum would always be like oh okay we'll wear it together I'm like yeah that's great but you have absolutely no idea how I'm feeling about this like yeah. like you saying that you're gonna eat breakfast with me is fine but you're eating breakfast because you're hungry and you want breakfast yeah. I don't want breakfast yeah and there's being with Leah and she's like we're both literally like absolutely terrified but we're doing it together and we actually understand how each other feels and then like afterwards we can be right okay like how does that feel like like what went well like what didn't go well like kind of thing so I feel like that's really really helped like being able to do it with someone who actually genuinely like understands yeah because um, you just you just get each other if that makes sense yeah yeah it is a very difficult like fear to describe to people I've always found like my mum would always be like oh just live a little and I'm like I am living but living for me doesn't mean eating a fucking birthday cake just leave me yeah. alone like it she would never understand that she was you know sweet and she was there and she was listening to me but it is just if you don't if you don't know what it feels like it's impossible to understand completely so yeah that must be nice yeah. All right, Paige, <laughs> your go. Um, right, so 
diagnoses if you've been diagnosed um what it was um and then treatment that you've been in and how how you've found it and then where you're kind of at now so I've never been formally diagnosed I found that my main problems with food started quite young around 14 15 that's when I started restricting and putting labels on food as good and bad and then by the time I got to university I'd say that's when it got very severe because I no longer had adults watching over me no one was making sure I was eating so I could just do whatever I wanted um and also the pressure of friends as well a lot of my friends developed in eating is cheating mentality at university especially on nights out it was very common for girls to just not eat and go and get drunk and that would be our calories for the day on the alcohol um I had several fitness planners that I showed you yesterday yeah. um and it was feel free it was, to show them by the way if you want to oh, terrible so I made this myself this is one of many and like the first page is a picture of Kayla Irons who's incredibly slim and toned and it's like you can make all of the excuses in the world but when it comes down to it nobody's going to do the work for you so if you want something do it yourself <laughs> and it says welcome to your three-month journey to a fitter healthier slimmer you reasons for weight loss to love yourself again to look good in a bikini to have more confidence to be proud of myself for the before and after photos to fit into those tight shorts for a flat stomach to go to the gym without being embarrassed to be able to wear a crop top with confidence to be proud of my reflection in the mirror to feel fitter stronger and healthier so that I can proudly say that I worked hard for it like it makes me want to cry reading it I'm like wow as if I actually I wrote this down I wrote this out myself I didn't find this on a website and just print it off I sat here and thought about all the reasons that I wanted to lose weight and I actually wrote down to be able to go to the gym without being embarrassed to be proud of my reflection in the mirror (laughs) it's like that's delusional in my opinion now and yeah in my second year of university I think I was on maybe my fifth or sixth book like this and I went to the uni doctor and I was like, I think I have a problem. I have a list as long as my arm of foods that are bad and that I shouldn't eat. I have had so many of these journals that I've been keeping, tracking my food, tracking my exercise. And I just feel like I really need some help. And the man was really quite short and dismissive and basically just asked me to hop up onto the scales and then was like, oh my God. Hmm, well, your BMI says that you're overweight. Uh, that was as far as my support went yeah so it was really hard for me to then try to kick this myself obviously because I've just been told that I'm now overweight um yeah I think for me it was really difficult trying to I think one of the things that's helped me most is trying to see sport as a game and as fun again so I've recently started reading I've just finished sorry this book Eat, Sweat, Play by Anna Kestrel, which I thought was really great. Um, And it basically goes on about how girls are taught that exercise is to lose weight, exercise is to be skinny, where boys have the freedom to go around and climb trees. Yeah, yeah. So from that young age, obviously I hate the gym. I've I've hated the gym for so long because I see it as a workout. I see it as I need to go and burn off the donut. I need to go and work off the cake. I need to earn my food today yeah yeah so I think that was yeah a lot of it for me I had a boyfriend at the time that was studying sports science so he very much sort of taught me like how to get back in touch with my body I was going to the gym 
but I was going to the gym and going on the treadmill and just trying to sweat out and burn out as much calories as I could I wasn't actually trying to be fitter stronger and healthier like the book says I wasn't doing any of that at all so yeah I think that was very helpful for me to try and like reconnect with my body and realize how strong and powerful I I was and that there was nothing wrong with me really yeah yeah like I was saying to you I'm actually I've read this one I don't know when this is from it just says January um I am the weight that I was when I wrote this book so that in itself is particularly worrying for me that I thought that this weight was such a problem Mm. that I couldn't look in the mirror and be happy yeah so yeah never formally had any help sadly but I think with the help of my ex-boyfriend I was able to sort of see sport as more of a game and even if it's just dancing and having fun like moving my body and it feels good to move your body you don't need to go to the gym and try and squat off a donut or earn your calories for the day it's just good to get in touch with yourself and keep moving and stuff yeah yeah I think overall now I'm definitely in a better place I can see the craziness of the 18 year old page's mind and yeah although I didn't have any medical professional help I think that using the focus of sport exercise and fitness and flipping it on its head and making it more about fun even if it's just doing half an hour of dancing in my bedroom with my headphones on that's more enjoyable than going to the gym so that was what I would choose to do now yeah yeah for sure and I think there's an element there because I often how you're treated is you need to get over your fear of food and you need to you know start eating normally and blah 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 and like that's all well and good but I still you know it's I don't know how to explain it without sounding like I'm really angry or something but it's often recovery is seen as okay well now I can eat pizza every day and like if you want to eat pizza every day fucking go for it if you like pizza eat it definitely I'm not saying you shouldn't but it's dangerous. So some people, it seems, they think it's dangerous if you are in recovery or recovered from eating disorders to have an active lifestyle and actually wanting to go to either the gym or be active and be outside and go for walks or whatever, and also eat healthy foods. Because it's difficult to deny that healthy foods and physical exercise is obviously a good thing in terms of longevity if you want to live a long life and you want to be able to pick up something you've dropped at the age of 80 or whatever like I think that's also something that I would like to see change is sort of the conversation about what recovery is because recovery can be many things and it certainly doesn't mean that you have to eat pizza every day again if you want to eat pizza every day definitely do it but it is that kind of like it's a very narrow-minded idea about what it looks like um and I think that's why talking to people is obviously helpful um to kind of understand um but yeah how would you say Paige are you do you still kind of have eating disorder thoughts or definitely 100% I where I had so many diaries this is before my fitness pal we didn't have that luxury then so I was writing everything down um, in my head still, if I go to like after dinner, grab a donut, my mind will start running through what was breakfast, what was lunch, what was dinner, how many calories have you had today? And I'm like, yeah. no, stop it. If you want the donut, just eat the donut. It's fine. You don't need to earn it. 
Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember who, someone posted it on Instagram. Some like body positive body, let's normalize bodies, whatever they call it, um, where it said you don't have to earn your food. And that really clicked with me. I was like, whoa, that's so true. You don't have to earn your food. Oh my God, I don't have to fast for two days after I've eaten a pizza. You earn your food just by being awake. Why wake exactly. up you earn food? Well done. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's a very, very true point. Um, so what kind of tips would we say that we have to people that are struggling with eating disorders still? Um, and... I mean, what has kind of worked for you guys? So I, I did a, a thing on, I did like a post, let me just find it, where I wrote, I think it was 10 things, 10 things that helped me heal my eating disorder. So I just want to add that I am not, I'm, I mean, I feel like I'm very, very far along in my process of recovery. Um, I've been working very intensely and very hard and very sort of determined Cause I've just, I'm 27 now. I've had an eating disorder since I was seven. So that's 20 years of my life. Um, pretty much all the years that I can remember anything. Um, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't have many memories from before I was seven. I don't remember much. Um, and I think I got to a point a couple of years ago where I was just fucking fed up. Like I just, I'm sick of being controlled by this annoying thought in my head that is just making me sad and annoyed and, wanting to curl up in bed and never get out. Um, and then I kind of started, cause I was, I tried treatment when I was maybe 14, I think 14, 15. Um, and I think that was CBT, that was in Denmark. So I can't remember what the exact sort of treatment approach was, but it was not for me. It was very sort of clinical, very, okay, well, we just need to track what you're eating. And I'm like, I'm already doing that. Like, I don't think this is going to help me. I need to do something else. Um, and also I went to a treatment facility and they said that I was too fat to 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 get in I wasn't skinny enough to have anorexia so I never had a proper diagnosis either um I would say from what I've you know gathered of knowledge until now I probably had like what they call abnormal anorexia where your BMI which is bullshit by the way BMI is the fake thing that was invented for white males years ago um if anyone doesn't know that are listening, I have to remember sometimes that this is not just a conversation, but that people might want some background on it. So BMI basically measures your height and your weight, and then it gives you like an average or something. And that is obviously some people can have more fat and therefore be a higher weight, but some people can also have high muscle mass and therefore be at a higher weight. And that measured with your height, it just it's just an incorrect result that you get basically it doesn't really measure anything anyway what was I saying with this um oh yeah so they they said that my BMI as well was was too high um so but I but I had the thought patterns of someone with anorexia I was not eating I wasn't you know I was exercising loads I was counting calories as if it was like life or death um I also had bulimic tendencies for a period of time did not enjoy that very much at all um and 
so to anyone that doesn't know bulimia is when you eat a load of food and then you puke basically um or you take laxatives so that you get diarrhea so it comes out either either one end or the other um uh, but I probably also had orthorexia which is the one I think that's kind of a new term but it's basically where you are really obsessed with healthy foods so like healthy plant-based like raw vegan kind it's very sort of like that um and I mean I am vegan now but and I think if I'm being brutally honest I think there's an element of that that started because of my eating disorder um I kind of found out that oh maybe you can lose weight if you go on a vegan diet because I've tried every single diet in my like that's out there but thankfully that actually going vegan kind of helped me because it made me appreciate food in a different way that it hadn't before and it kind of stopped me being scared of foods now it's just been so long that I don't want to eat meat anymore um but yeah that's not saying that that's you know I'm not suggesting anyone goes vegan because they want to lose weight or get over their eating disorder but that just helped for me um but yeah anyway so what kind of helped me when I finally just had enough was I was quite obsessed with numbers. So I stopped weighing myself. I haven't weighed myself in maybe 10 years, which helped massively because I was very focused on being a specific weight. If I wasn't between like this weight and this weight, I was just unhappy and it would just ruin my day. And if I was that weight, I kind of relaxed a little bit more and I'd eat more and then I'd gain weight. And then, you know, I'd get over the point that I wanted to be and then, that just controlled my life. Um, so I stopped weighing myself. I stopped counting calories, which is difficult, I think. I don't know what you guys think because it's there on the package, but I now actually don't look at it anymore, um, which has also helped massively. And I think, I think, was it Sophie, you said you kind of like challenge the, like your patterns that you've been in before. So even I mean even with that if there's something that I think oh I shouldn't eat that then I'll eat it and I'll probably have two portions of it because it just kind of you know you survive you're there still at the end of the day um and then not measuring myself I used to take measurements around my thighs my stomach and neck and fucking wrists um so numbers not doing numbers and also something that I know that a lot of people are doing now from like a Fitbit perspective. I don't count my steps. I usually leave my phone at home as well if I go for a walk because it's so it's so triggering for me to look at my phone and be like, oh, I haven't done 10,000 steps today. Oh my God, how am I gonna get through the week? So that's something that's helped. Anything that has to do with numbers, I basically just avoid. Um, uh, I mean, I have a load of other things, but yeah, let's go with, do you guys want to say, should we do like two each that has helped for you to start with? And then we could always add on. Yeah. Um, Sophie, what do you feel has helped for you? Um, I would definitely say, and actually it is similar to yours, that recently the thing that's got me the furthest was definitely the like stopping with the numbers I mean I remember when I was in camps and we had to do like a food diary and I was on a calorie-based meal plan and I weighed everything everything that went into my mouth we weighed and measured and I knew exactly what it was 
And if I was one calorie over, I would, I'd be watching my mum at the scales. And if it went over by a gram, that was it. I lost it. Mm. If I was over by one calorie, like one calorie, I literally, I lost it. Um, and I'd make her subtract a calorie from somewhere else. Um, and that was one calorie, which I mean, thinking about it now, it's a little bit ridiculous. Um, but yeah, so definitely stopping that. And what I found really helpful was um, I did a lot of, things where if it like when we did our shopping if I had things that I was like apprehensive to eat because it was a fear food I would actually get um like black duct tape and cover the um nutritional information yeah that's Um, a good idea yeah and then as well like um buying having things that actually didn't have the calories on them um so like independent kind of things um I found it really difficult because from what six years of calorie counting I knew the calories about 10 different loaves of bread and like it is really difficult but actually now like I remember the calories of like stupid things that don't matter and the actual things that I was like fearful of like I can remember the number of calories in like courgette but I couldn't remember it in like something else yeah Um, but yeah I find actually covering it was really helpful and the other thing I always used to do getting something from the supermarket oh that looks good pick it up actually no it doesn't because of either the new because I was all it wasn't only calories I was really really obsessed with saturated fat and mm. um, like stupidly obsessed um like if a product had more than 0.5 grams of saturated fat in it I wasn't eating it right which obviously doesn't really leave you with much to eat and obviously like your body generally actually needs the that those kind of fats so yeah so I would pick it up and if I went oh that looks nice and then went oh no it doesn't I'd have to get it Mm. um and it's just things like that it's like if you go to like even now it's so frustrating because everywhere has the calories on it like you go to Costa and it's all like there right in front of you um but if I'd look be choosing between two options and the reason why I wasn't getting one because it was higher in calories I'd get the one that was higher Mm. um and someone once said to me actually in in um treatment um a few months ago that in the day service program, like they used to like go to Starbucks and like they'd have to pick something. And they always used to say, you have to get the higher option if that's, if you're avoiding it, because in the end it will just stop you from looking because you won't want to know that every time you're picking the higher one, because yeah, because, um, and yeah, definitely. um, I think numbers, everyone, because I feel like eating disorders are such a controllable controlling an obsessive disorder that things like numbers are really really easy to get fixated on um so and and as well with the steps I did that I I mean if I was on 4,000 steps and it was eight o'clock at night I was walking around in circles until I got 10,000 I think that it's really really difficult but things like throwing your Fitbit away or covering your information is really helpful so numbers again yeah I think and I think everyone as much as they will deny it will have some kind of obsession with numbers and coming getting over that I think it puts you in a much better position because it it takes away that also it kind of relieves a bit of the guilt because I found like say if I had like a cake or something I wouldn't I wouldn't know the calories so I know that it was scary but I wouldn't be able to add up everything I've had in the day and be like right well no that's taken me over kind of thing it kind of And not counting means you don't know whether you've had, you don't know what you've had. Exactly, Uh, exactly. I think the numbers are what, they're 
very easy to control because we can mm. see, we can add you know add it all yeah. up, blah, 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 and we'll think okay well then tomorrow I have to take 11 calories out because I had 11 too many today yeah. and not doing that again I think it comes very much down to like you're gonna like you you're not gonna die from having 11 calories too many that's not what yeah. will kill you you know that it, you'll die at some point for something else but that's not you know it it just taking that out means that you I found anyway eventually you can just relax a bit more and you can eat what you want to eat because you want to eat it and you can look in the mirror not knowing how much you weigh and you can be happy with it because I would look in the mirror some days and I'd be like I look right today I'm I'm not unhappy today I'd weigh myself and I'd be 500 grams over and I'd be like okay well no I don't like the way that I look now so it is I think it's a good way of um getting rid of that really really hardcore control definitely Shannon two tips two or more feel free to add more I quite like the numbers one actually um I was quite lucky to never ever think about calories or grams in terms of food my kind of number strange as it was um I had an obsession with the scales for sure um sort of seeing that and in fact actually one of the the first pair of eating disorder people that I met they would make me wear a mask over my face when they weighed me so that I couldn't see the scale they, oh, right. number, yeah. they could write it down but I wasn't allowed to look at the scale yeah. so we weren't allowed to have scales in the house when I had to get rid of them and the only time I would ever be weighed was at the facility and I wasn't allowed to see what was on the scale they would cover my eyes so I never knew what it was um so I did have an obsession with the numbers in that sense purely scale based but I never had an issue with calories or grams of food my weird number thing was times of day of eating so it sounds bizarre to me now, but when I was younger, it was always, we have breakfast at 8am, we have lunch at 12, we have dinner at five. Mm. And so because I was sort of like 15 towards the tail end of when things were getting better, I remember if I was like at home, whether my mum was home or not, but more so if she went out, I would try my best to eat at like 11.31 I was like 11.30 is too early for me to eat lunch, but I just want to get it over and done with. So I'd wait until the clock had gone literally a minute past 11.30. And I was like, I could round this up to 12 o'clock now so I can just eat my lunch so it's done. Mm, yeah. I was always trying to eat my lunch as early as I could so that I was done with food and I didn't have to eat anything until dinner time. Yeah. And then I'd wait until like half four and be like, can we have dinner now? And she'd be like, you're hungry. And I'm like, yeah, just, I wasn't hungry. I just wanted to get it over and done with. Yeah. So I knew I didn't have to eat anything else before bed. Right. So I definitely had a thing with numbers in terms of I was looking at the clock and when would be the next time to eat so I could just get it done with. Yeah. Um, so I definitely agree that numbers would be a top tip. Um, but I think in terms of recovery, my two main top ones would be firstly understanding that recovery may go on for the rest of your life. You know, I remember being told that I was being discharged from CAMS because I was still under 18 when throughout my experience being told that I was discharged and that if I ever need to go back it wouldn't just be a case of knocking off for an appointment with the same doctor I'd have to go through the process of my doctor's surgery again and I felt that that was it that was over that would be the end of it and it wasn't until a few weeks later that I was like actually this isn't the end this is just the beginning because now I'm on my own so it's even harder yeah as much as I felt like the process was over 
for a long time in my own head as soon as I leave that'll be it knowing that actually even now like 10 years after I was sort of released from their care there are still elements now with my eating habits that are still very disordered and for a long time I was like but it should have been over as soon as I was sort of dismissed from their care surely that's it you're discharged you're done yeah just kind of being able to know that it may go on forever you may feel like this forever but actually that's not a bad thing and actually it makes you stronger to be able to deal with it on your own once you're out of that care so I think just mentally preparing yourself for the fact that it might not ever be over but knowing that you've got the strength to get yourself out of there um and then my second one would be understanding that you're not to blame for it um so there's just I mean I remember people saying to me but you need food to stay alive why is food your enemy like of all the enemies you could have in this world of all the things that you could do you know you could be drinking alcohol you could be putting poison into your body you could be taking drugs there are so many things that you could do to damage your body why are you choosing something that you need to stay alive like it didn't make sense to the people that knew what I was going through but in my own head it made me sit and think surely I'm broken something doesn't make sense why why am I fighting with something that's keeping me alive Mm. I think just understanding that as much as in some ways you are very much in control as Sophie said you're the only person that can get you out of there you're the only person that can get you out of hospital you're the one that's got to put the work in yeah it's not solely in your hands and it's not something that you have ultimate control over because if we did have ultimate control over it we would never be in these situations we wouldn't allow ourselves to get this ill so I think just understanding that you're not to blame and that actually this isn't you choosing a fight this is something that you're struggling with and it's not your choice to be here and actually it's just a really really unfortunate situation to be in rather than it you being to blame for this fight that you've chosen for yourself yeah yeah very true and it can happen for so many different reasons I mean up until recently I didn't really think about the fact that it wasn't necessarily about being skinny I I've done some therapy called um CRM and then I did hypnotherapy as well and basically CRM is like a trauma therapy way of thinking where it's like eye movement and you have to call on ancestors and it's all very like out there for some people Uh, I personally enjoyed it um but it it made me realize that there are so many layers to my eating disorder and it is it has absolutely nothing to do with wanting to be skinny literally none at all it has for me what I found out with that was that it has to do with um like so my dad's not my biological dad so when I was a fetus I lost my biological dad chose that he didn't want to be a father at that time he was 20 years old fair enough you know you do what you gotta do um but that subconsciously may have played a role in in my mum's love for me and that you know she's taking on both roles and she'll definitely always be there for me and she's kind of saying these things is what I felt in the therapy it's not something she's necessarily said um and then other things like my parents getting divorced so that's like a second breach of something that needs to kind of be in your life so I may have developed my eating disorder to kind of 
hold on to the people in my life that are really important to me and basically making myself sick so that they would need to care for me. So, I mean, there was a thousand other things that we talked about as well, but that was just an interesting way for me to look at it, I think, because I'd never thought about it like that at all. I just thought, oh, well, I just want to look like the models in the magazines. Like, surely that's what it's about. It wasn't about that at all for me. It can be for other people and it can certainly be an additional factor. You know, one of the other tips for me is don't follow people on Instagram that make you feel shit about yourself. Don't follow the Insta models and the fitness instructors and all that kind of stuff because it's just, it, you know, for me anyway it made me feel like shit if I had a bad day and looking at them and I'd be like oh why don't I look like that but then actually it's usually about the angle and the filter that you put on anyway so you know it's all lies um but yeah it is it's it's definitely um it's a long battle for sure yeah I agree and I think the fact that like Paige was saying about having we've all got so many different experiences with Sophie being an inpatient me being an outpatient Paige having diaries and journals I think so many people have this misconception that all eating disorders are the same or if they hear that somebody's had anorexia and they're like oh I had a friend that had anorexia so yeah. it's the same situation and it's like no that's not always the case and I remember sitting in front of the therapist and then asking my mum so many questions about because my dad left when I was really young when I was two or three oh, so it's because her dad isn't present in her life, or oh, it's because you're now going through a divorce, or oh, it's because she doesn't have a good relationship with her brother. And it was like, they tried to find a reason for it starting. And there were so many reasons that they tried to cover and they never found one. And it wasn't until I'd left therapy that I kind of realized maybe there isn't a specific thing and maybe it's more than one. And maybe as I get older, I'll uncover more. And after years and years and years, I did. Like I now realize that I'm in therapy for, for other things that aren't eating disorder related but I'm in therapy for those because of trauma that I went through as a child and it made me think maybe it was that trauma as a child that my mum wasn't aware of and that I didn't speak to the therapist about maybe that was the reason why and I think in therapy and even with other people's perceptions around you there's always what's the cause of this because once we've figured out the cause and the trigger then we can fix it yeah actually, it's not always that obvious and yeah. not everyone's experience is the same and it's we don't all have the same trigger yeah and even if you do like even let's say we could pinpoint it to oh this at this time this is what happened and that's why that's you know that doesn't mean that you can necessarily even go in and fix it that just means that you've pinpointed it but as you're saying it can be a variety of things and it can be accumulation is that what that's a word yeah just like by FYI I'm not uh, actually from England as you can probably tell by my accent but um there, there are words where I'm like is this what it means um but an accumulation of things where you know traumas for example and then your reaction to the traumas is just to have an eating disorder but you're, you're not thinking about it in that way you're just thinking I want to be skinny so it is yeah again such a freaking complex um mental illness it's just yeah very tough um page two or more tips for our dear listeners <laughs> so for me my first top tip would definitely be about connecting to your body i just felt fat and horrible and mm -hmm. once i started to move my body and become aware of what i was capable of obviously that lessened because i could see that i had power in my body even though I thought I was too big, I had strength. So 
how have I got a book telling me I want to be fitter and stronger, but I'm already quite strong. I'm just not utilizing my strength. I'm just running on the treadmill trying to burn calories instead of actually seeing what my body can do and trying to challenge myself. So yeah, connecting to my body and trying to challenge myself rather than just before my trying to challenge myself would be, I'm going to do a hundred sit-ups today. No, no more of that. It was more about learning what I liked, what I enjoyed, even like I did random things, like went and played tennis with my brother and went to cricket just to see what I actually like because yeah. it's been so long. I think like the book I was talking about earlier, I think it's from the young age. Boys are very much encouraged towards school and then we get into this box where it's like, oh, well, I don't need to exercise right now. I don't need to lose weight. And it's like, well, it's not about losing weight. It's about moving your body and knowing your body and mm. like just being connected to it really. So yeah, I think trying some basic level of upping your whole fitness or just even if that means putting your headphones on and dancing in your bedroom for half an hour, just trying to connect to your body and understand the way it moves a bit more and enjoy it and be grateful for it because we are able-bodied people at the end of the day. There are people in much worse off scenarios than us. So just be grateful that you've woken up this morning and your legs work. You can walk on them, go for a stroll, enjoy that. Um, yeah just being grateful for what I had and then my second top tip actually came from my best friend and she was around one day when I was at uni and I was stood in front of the mirror we were going out and I was like oh this looks shit I look fat this is horrible and she literally went can you stop talking to my best friend like that I fucking love that bitch and I was like oh <laughs> uh. she was angry at me for speaking to myself so terribly and more importantly, she was like, would you say that to me? If I was stood there saying that, would you allow it? And I was like, no, of course I wouldn't. I love you. And she was like, exactly. And I love you and I'm not going to allow it. So next time that thought comes into your head, you need to think about me telling you to shut the fuck up because you're beautiful. You're my best friend and I love you just the way you are. Yeah. So yeah, I think to try and treat yourself like your own best friend and have the sort of mentality that you would have for a friend and not. Like the things that we say to ourselves, I would never dream of saying to one of my friends. So yeah, yeah, just being a bit more compassionate with yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a huge, huge thing as well. I think I I didn't want to recover until I actually started respecting myself properly and understanding that I do deserve to be loved. I do deserve other people to love me and I deserve to love myself. And it wasn't until I kind of understood that that I was sort of ready to let go of the eating disorder side of myself. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's a very, very good one. Like talk to yourself like you wanna talk to your best friend. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, what, I mean, where are we all kind of at now in our eating disorders? I kind of wanna touch on that because for me, when I spoke to Eva in the last um, podcast about eating disorders, um, she was saying that she, so she was in recovery and then they, what do they call it? Like they like sign you out and they say you're now recovered, but she's still experiencing eating disorder thought patterns. Like we've all said that, you know, we kind of realize when we're doing that, but she's saying that she doesn't believe that that's ever fully going to go away. And I think that's kind of the the general, you know, 
thought about eating disorders but I, I'm just like I fucking I, that's not good enough for me I want it to go away but what do we kind of think what does recovery look like for everyone um so if you do want to start what like re full recovery when are you kind of happy with you feel like you've done enough this may never happen but what's like what's kind of a good place that you want to get to um so and it's quite an interesting one actually because when I first started treatment and even when I was in hospital um for me I always said I hated it hated 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 it when everyone was like come on right you need to eat to get better like you need to go home I was like I don't want to get better like stop telling me that like I don't want to get better um and I developed this thing where I said I'm not going to recover I'm going to learn to manage so I didn't, I didn't want to get rid of my eating disorder because it was all I'd known for so long. And it was like, it was a massive comfort for me. Like it was, the, for me, it was the only thing that I was good at. Like it was the only thing that I could do. And um, so I was always like, I'm not going to recover. I was like, I was literally could sit there and be like, well, I don't care if I never eat chocolate again. Like, I don't mind. Like I'm happy like this. Like, I'm just going to learn to manage my eating disorder so that I can still live. So I don't have to live in hospital, but yeah. I can still have my eating disorder. Um, can I ask, is that because I, I felt like that. And for me, I think I realized that's because I want to be able to live life, but I want to do it where I still feel like I'm not fat. Like for me, I felt like I really had to challenge like my internalized fat phobia and be like, well, what would actually happen if I, I was fat? Like, why would that be such a bad thing? Is that uh, kind of, can you relate to that or is it a different? Yeah. So for me, when I was, um, like, especially when I was in hospital, getting better meant being fat. Going home meant being better meant being fat. Yeah. Like people only get discharged when they're better. And because it was always so focused on weight restoration, like that meant fat. Like, mm. and even now I think I remember, at, um, and I always say this because it, it still kind of shocks me. I remember at the age of four in reception being like, I'm fat, I'm faster than everyone else. Like I need to lose weight. And I was four. Mm. Um, and like my whole life, I couldn't tell you a time that I didn't think I was fat. And I had this massive thing. I was like, and no one ever understood me because I was like, I have all this evidence of like reasons why it's definitely true that I'm fat. Like things that people said to me, like in primary school when I was younger and things like that. I was like, so... I am fat so you can't tell me that I'm not fat and even if you're now saying I'm underweight and I can see the fat and I can touch the fat mm. and I can hold the fat I was like it's there I was like so I'm fat like mm. and it's that really like it's such like a channeled vision mindset and something I've always been told is that I'm very black and white I'm like I basically didn't do my A-levels because I decided that I wasn't going to get straight A's so I wasn't going to do them um and that's that's how like I think and so for me there was no gray areas, better meant fat. So, and even now, like, I mean, I still have to have weekly weigh-ins and even like you said earlier, like when I get on the scales and I've gained weight, I'm like, okay, I don't like myself anymore. Like I'm fat now yeah. when I'm technically like still under, if that makes sense. Um, so yeah, I always said that I was never ever gonna recover. Um, I always had a weight that I was going to maintain it and I wasn't going to go over it. And when I was in hospital, they made me go over it. When I came out, I went back under it. Um, and that didn't get me very far. So yeah. it was only, so COVID, when COVID hit and we went into lockdown, 
that sent me spiraling completely because we were locked down we weren't allowed to do anything so in my head I had no control over anything and even though I mean I worked in the NHS I was still going to work every day in fact I was working 12 and a half hours shifts five days a week because I was like oh yeah I can just work every day it's fine yeah so actually I was being more active than I was before but in my head we were locked down yeah and so for me that was probably the worst relapse I had but in the middle of that I moved from my home um up north to to live with my partner and for me that has been the biggest 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 change in my recovery because now I don't want to learn how to manage like I don't want like before I moved up here I didn't eat anything that was considered an unhealthy food I wouldn't eat like literally I wouldn't even eat a biscuit like anything that had even like I wouldn't eat chocolate but I wouldn't eat anything that had chocolate in the label mm. um, I wouldn't eat a veggie sausage because it had the word sausage in it and for me sausages were bad so even if you gave me a sausage made out of carrot I wouldn't eat it and I was so fixated on all these rules but now I'm like well I don't want to live like that like like Leah and I want to have kids like we want to like go here we want to go there like we're getting married we're like well we don't want to be sitting there on our wedding day being like oh no I can't eat the cake uh, yeah. so like for me that because I always found it like I never ever ever wanted to do it for me because I was always like well I don't deserve it like I don't want that like that's not me like I can't do it for me but now I'm not only doing it for me like I'm doing it for us and like for me that's been the biggest thing I'd say is because I have a reason like to have kids I can't have an eating disorder Mm. like yes it can still be there and it can be there in the background but I can't engage in it I was like, I can't engage in like, any other behaviours. Like, I have to be mentally somewhat stable. Yeah. Um, and, like, I, when we moved up here and I got a new job, like, they were, my team were like, Sophie, you can't work. Like, you're literally in no fit state to work. And I was like, but I want to work. Like, I literally, because, so the same week I had my job interview, I had an assessment for another inpatient unit. And I was like, I'm not going. I was like, I don't live at home anymore. I was like, at, my parents aren't, like I have bills to pay I have dogs to look after I've got my partner like I can't just go into hospital like like I've got to do it for me and I think that was a point I realized I was like "Mm, I can't just like spend my life like you know just fuzzing around like I actually need to get on with it and I need to do it and for me that that's been the biggest thing is just knowing that I've got to do it and unless I want to live my life like being absolutely terrified of everything like I'm just gonna have to get on with it and it is hard and like there are shit days and like whatever and like I'm still scared of things but like I mean this time last year I don't think I would have even contemplated going and buying a chocolate bar even if it was something else for someone else because I'd be scared that the cashier would be like oh she didn't eat a chocolate bar she can't eat that yeah yeah <laughs> whereas like now I mean like, I eat chocolate every day I mean it was October last year I was with Leah and I ate my first ever piece of chocolate I think it was a Maltese you know the Christmas reindeers and I was like, oh my God, I was like, this tastes so good. And he was like, how did you last so long without chocolate? And I was like, I don't even know. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so now um, I was like, I've still got a long way. I've definitely still got a long way to go in terms of like weight restoration and stuff like that. But um, like mentally, I'm definitely in the best place I've ever been. Um, and I do think that there's always going to be a part of me that doesn't like the way I look because I never ever have done like from as far as I can remember I've never looked at myself and been like oh yeah I like you there's always been something like 
I've always been told like at parents evenings oh like yeah Sophie's good in class but she just says that she can't do it she said she's not good at it like that's just me so I do think that there's always going to be an element of myself that's like well I don't like that like a look yeah I don't like the way I look but I hope that I'll just be able to learn to accept that and just be like mm, well what does it matter like yeah yeah exactly I think could there also I, this is again just from myself like I never wanted to say that I thought I looked pretty even on a day that I thought I looked pretty because I was like yeah I'm gonna think I am a cunt by saying yeah. that and like yeah sure you don't want to be an asshole about it and be up you know up yourself and constantly talk about I'm fabulous but it should also I think be okay to say yeah I look great today I've done my hair and makeup or I feel fabulous or my skin's really soft or whatever you want to say like I think could there be an element to all of us maybe thinking like that because society kind of says that oh well you know you shouldn't think too much of yourself calm calm down yeah like I have this thing where I will refuse to say that I'm good at anything because I don't want people to think I'm big-headed so I so in my head I am rubbish at everything I am shit at everything I am a shit person and everyone hates me like that's my mentality so I'll go into a situation and be like well everyone hates me and I'm not going to be good at it so what's the point yeah and, yeah and like Leah always says to me she's like Sophie just because that's what it was like in the past doesn't mean that's what's going to be like now and I'm like well no of course it is like no I I, I like be like oh well I can't try that because I'm going to be I'm going to be crap at it so what's the point <laughs> but yeah definitely it's a way as well to avoid disappointment I think yeah. I've, I've definitely done that before where I'm like well if I don't think highly of myself then I can never be disappointed I'll just always have like really low expectations but I think yeah really low expectations and then like when if something goes all right it's great (laughs) yeah exactly but it also takes away like the I for me anyway it takes some of the spark for life away when I constantly just put myself down yeah 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 thank you um Shannon recovery what does it look like for you um two different things I think being able to feel okay with not being in control of something because for me my issues with eating were never about a certain weight or looking a certain way I never saw like my size or my shape as being the problem it was more about wanting to feel in control of something in my life so I felt that I mean, my dad leaving very, very young meant that me and my mum had an incredible bond and still do. But growing up, I felt very, very wrapped in, bubble wrapped by her. Like I wasn't able to go out with friends into town like a lot of my friends were able to. And I felt very much controlled in the sense that everything I did was my mum's decision. And I felt very controlled at school. And I had a lot of childhood related trauma with different situations. And I just got to a point where I felt like I'm not in control in any aspect of my life. What can I control? And I was looking for something and it felt that eating became something that I could control. And then eventually it just spiraled. And I just felt that I needed to be in control of that. And it was the only thing that I could be in control of. So I think being able to feel okay with not being in control would ideally be the best case scenario. And because food was always the thing that I wanted to control, I think my relationship getting better with that would then enable me to feel okay with not being in control. Um, But I think my kind of main 
recovery as such would be being able to go to a restaurant and just not care because I just have a million and one thoughts in my head when I go into a public place and have to eat it took me a long time to be able to eat in like the staff room at work and even to have meals in front of my family and feel comfortable with it it's like just the thought of going to a restaurant now there's just so many things I think of like are people going to judge what I order are they going to judge how little I eat or how much I eat are they going to judge how I hold my knife and fork are they going to judge like just everything because I feel like depending on how many people you're out with depends on how sort of intense a meal would feel so I remember going out to a restaurant I was in a relationship and going out to a restaurant and sitting opposite my partner and just thinking like there's nowhere else for them to look right now it's just us two and they're looking directly at me and I can see them watching me cut my food and I was like this is really intense yeah for me so I just put a stop and I was like, we're not going to go out for a meal again. That's, I just don't like this. And then I remember going out um, after I'd come back from uni with a group of friends for a birthday meal. And I was like, there's going to be no pressure of loads of people watching me. And my best friend knew my issues with food. And she was like, right, what I'm going to do is we're going to have like eight of us at the table. But instead of having like opposites, there's going to be people either end of the table. Mm. So like, we are going to be either end of the table. I'm so far away from you. I can't see what's on your plate you're literally going to be looking at me and I'm so far from you, like ignore all of these people. And I just couldn't because people either side of me were talking to me and I was like, shit, what if they're looking at me? What if they're looking at the food? And I felt like leaving there, I was like, there's no ideal number of people I could ever go out to eat with. If it's one-on-one, it's intense. And if there's too many people, I thought there's too many judging eyes. So I think being able to actually just go to a restaurant, be it on my own or with a partner or with a friend or with a group of people and just, not caring just being able to say like this isn't something I'm thinking about like I can never remember even from being super young being excited to go out to a restaurant or wanting to go out to a restaurant and it's it just seems like such a a normal part of life like even with birthdays now when I was like well you know you've, you've gone past the child age of having little parties at home and I don't drink she's like so you don't want to go out to a club like why don't you just go out for a meal with friends and I'm like no and every birthday she arranges for me to go out for a meal with friends and every time it gets just before I'm like why would you do this yeah this is a normal thing to do I'm like you don't you don't understand like you would sit during my recovery and watch shows on tv about eating disorders and there was this show on British telly called super size versus super skinny where oh yeah (laughs) like where they'd have to swap diets and she's like oh god I think you should go on this and I was like no And she'd watch all these things and try to educate herself. And as much as I felt like that was helpful at the time, I'm now like, I know it's normal for you to go out for a meal with friends, but this is literally my worst nightmare. And you want me to do this on my birthday? Yeah. But I think just being able to go to a restaurant or eat anything in front of anyone and not feel judged and just not give a shit would be ideally recovery for me. It's never been about wanting to look a certain way or fit into a certain size of clothes or be able to eat a certain amount and still survive or look at a certain image and feel like I match that body so nothing like that it's never been about body image it was always about control but for now I just I just want to be able to go to a restaurant and eat and not care and just feel like it's okay to do that and not overthink it yeah I completely get that definitely definitely page recovery 
I don't want to be super negative, but I agree. I don't know if it is ever possible to be fully recovered. I do think this is always... My really bad stage of this was when I was 18, 19. I'm 27 this year. That was 10 years ago. And still, I will look at Krispy Kreme donut and my mind's like, well, if you get just a glazed one, it's about 350 calories, or you could get a filled one, then you're looking at more five. Like, why am I doing that in my head? I haven't asked for that thought process. It just comes back to me naturally because... I did it for so long writing my journals. So I don't I don't know if there ever will be a point where my brain doesn't automatically go to count the calories and then I have to shut it down. Um, I hope there would be, but I don't know if it is possible in terms of recovery. And then also not being triggered by other things as much and getting uh-huh. like so angry about it. The other day I was re-watching Skims season one and Cassie basically teaches you how to have an eating disorder. Yeah. And I literally watched it and I was with my mum and I was like, this, this is what happens. This is exactly what happens. And this is exactly why I always thought I was fat. Look at this skinny bitch here teaching me how to not eat. And I just got so like overwhelmed by it and angry that this was on a TV program that I used to love. And my mum was like, what has happened? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, random things do kind of trigger me. And I'm like, well, how can you not see how outrageous it is that she's this TV show is aimed at teenagers. Yeah. I was watching Skins at what, 15, 16? Watching someone skinnier than me play with her food and, te- and she literally teaches you. She's like, oh, well, Sid, this is how I do it. You just keep talking, ask loads of questions, keep cutting. And it's like a blow by blow of what to do if you want to develop an eating disorder. So, yeah. yeah, I think society needs to change a bit as well so that it's better for everyone. And then maybe it would be possible to things to not just pop into my brain and make me so angry yeah it's coming at you there's not much that you can do about it I think that's why it's so hard like summer coming around diet culture I don't know if it ever will go away because every time summer comes around I'm going to be like no page you don't need to be bikini body ready your body is a body put a bikini on you're done yeah 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 I get that completely I think that's one of the things for me that's like what recovery is I feel like I am very close to recovery I can literally taste freedom it's fucking delicious um but it is I mean who knows you know I can go back in my recovery in a few weeks and and it might you know I I might feel a lot worse and blah 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 but at the moment I feel very passionate about being like I want to recover um but I think the biggest thing for me and how I kind of have always imagined recovery is being able to visibly gain weight and not feel sad about it because I don't care so much about like what size I wear and that kind of stuff anymore I used to definitely but it um it's the it's the ruining of my day and my mood and the not even the ruining of my day the ruining of my month if I have gained weight because I want to like you say Paige I want to just like put on a bikini and go to the beach and then I have a beach body like fuck off society literally cannot be asked with it anymore um but it's the because weight you know you do some people do fluctuate and in winter regardless of whether I'm dieting or not dieting which thankfully I haven't done now in in years but the years now where I haven't been dieting I have still without 
thinking, oh, you can't eat this, you can eat that, blah, blah, blah. I have gained more weight in winter because I am just less active and it's different foods and maybe my body actually needs a little extra layer of fat and blah, blah, blah. And then in summer without dieting, it'll go away. And that might not continue to happen for the rest of my life, but that's what's happened the last couple of years. And it's, it's being able to just accept that that's what my body is doing. I am giving it nutritious, lovely food that I want to eat and my body is doing what it needs to do with it. And I am still, you know, I'm still, I should, I still want to be able to be in a good mood regardless of what I look like. I think that's probably the biggest thing for me because the fear of food I'm, I'm over. I'm not scared of food anymore. Um, now it's literally just being able to accept myself and love myself regardless of what I look like. And that's when I'll consider myself being properly, properly recovered. Um, and I think I, I can agree to a certain extent. I think just because I'm so determined to, I don't want anorexia and fucking bulimia being in the back of my head all the time. I think how I've changed my thinking about like, oh, I think it's always going to be a part of me is that my brain is so used to thinking in this kind of way that that's what it is. It's not actually my eating disorder. I, I don't want it to still be my eating disorder when I feel that I'm so recovered that I'm kind of done with having an eating disorder. It's just because my brain's thought like this for 20 years that I still have those thoughts. Um, You've conditioned yourself. Yeah, well, exactly, exactly, exactly. So fucking true. Um, so I think, and but I think, again, that's something we can train ourselves out of. Like, we can train our brains to then think differently. Like what Sophie was saying, like, challenge the way that we're thinking. Like, if we think we shouldn't eat that piece of cake, well, we'll eat two then, because fuck you, brain. You know, we're on a mission here. So I, that's what I'm hoping, anyway. Um, so... Yeah, but TBC, TBC. Um, is there anything that anyone wants to ask each other or add to the conversation? Because um, I don't think I have any more questions. I have like a little, a quick little round to round things off. But is there anything that we want to add before that? Just looking at all the individual head shakes. Cool. <laughs> um, so one thing that I um, have actually found to be very useful, not just for my eating disorder, but in general, if I'm feeling a bit low, is to say three things, either say them out loud or write them down uh, once a day that I'm grateful for. Um, and basically what that is doing is training the brain to think positively and kind of like reach out for the more positive things in our lives because uh, it is very easy to kind of get stuck in a negative mindset um I over the last week two weeks I feel like I've been quite low I feel like I've been quite sad quite quickly um reacting like negatively to things that I wouldn't necessarily do so I am just literally now thinking I should start doing this for a period of time until I feel better um so if we each say three things that we're grateful for, it can literally be anything. Um, and then kind of round it off like that. Are you all okay with that? Just checking if everyone's nodding. Yeah, amazing. Okay, well, I'll just go first. Um, 
I'm super, super grateful for your participation in this. It's just brilliant to have these conversations. I think I find it very, very useful. Um, and it's just nice, especially in COVID as well, to see some faces <laughs> that aren't the four walls that you're otherwise in. Um, and then I am grateful for, I'm grateful for the fact that the weather's been really nice today. Um, and then I'm quite grateful for my fringe that I cut. It's having a good day today, I feel. So those are my three things. Um, Sophie, do you want to go next? Uh, yeah, I'm uh, grateful for my partner, Leah, um, and my dog, Willow. Um, and I'm also very grateful that um, you allowed me, asked me whatever <laughs> to do this today, because um, speaking about like eating disorders and mental health is something that, I mean, I actually love doing it like, once you get me started, I don't stop because I feel like it's just such a massive thing that there's so much to talk about and like so much that people don't like don't realize. So, I mean, I probably waffled on for ages because I could literally talk for like years about mental health. But yeah, thank you so much for um, letting me be a part of it. Thank you. It's been amazing. I mean, all three of you, I'm like, fuck, I need to step up my podcast game. You guys are naturals. <laughs> so good. Um, Shannon, your three things that you're grateful for. I would say conversations about mental health because for so many years it's just been something that people avoid and I feel like we're starting to scratch the surface of feeling like we can have conversations and I think it's come at a time in some ways that I think with the pandemic things certainly people have started to realise that actually we need to take care of each other and just check in on each other. I think it's come at the right time in that sense, but I think it's been done way too late. And I think sort of hearing so much in the media of things that have happened and celebrity suicides and things, yeah. I feel like a lot has happened more recently and I feel like the conversations happened too late. But I think just having conversations about all sorts of different branches of mental health is something that I'll forever be grateful for. Yeah. Um, my family and friends, uh, because they are just everything. Um, I've met my best friend about five years ago and I never knew how much I could have in common with a complete and utter stranger. And I think just, there are just times in your life when you meet someone out of nowhere and you just think like how, you start to look back and you think, how did we get so close so soon? And I think just, it's a strange concept that humans can go from literally being a stranger to you to being someone that you couldn't actually imagine your life without. Yeah. So I know that like my mum has been around since I was tiny, obviously. Um, and as much as we have a super, super strong bond, there are things that I wouldn't say to her and tell her about that I would to people that I've known a lot less. Mm. So I think just different people that I'm close to um, and kind of have just been a saving grace throughout my life in at different stages. So I think just the power of people. So friends and family um, and I think animals because I've got a little pet rabbit and I cannot imagine life without him it sounds ridiculous I know lots of people have got like cats and dogs and they say that they're a part of the family and my rabbit is definitely a part of the he's the strangest rabbit I've ever met in my life he will chase me up and down the house he does not leave my side if I'm in a sad mood he knows I just have to sit on the floor and he'll come over and he'll just sit there and he'll lay next to me it's like how can you sense this you're such a small little thing and I think just I'll sit and have conversations with him and it sounds ridiculous but if I've had a bad day I don't want to talk to a human 
yeah. honestly him because he'll just stay there and yeah. get up and leave. He doesn't tell me I'm wrong. I think there's just animals of any, I just think we're blessed to have animals. So yeah, animals would be my third. Absolutely. Could not agree more. Definitely. Definitely. Um, Paige, your three things that you're grateful for. I'm very grateful for my health. Um, my best friend, Emma, has been with me since we were in school. She was my prom date in 2010. She's the one that told me to think about myself the way she does and definitely helped me so much in my journey. Um, I don't think we've ever had an argument. Literally, we've been friends since I can remember and I cannot remember ever arguing with her about anything. So, so very grateful for her and then grateful for this opportunity to talk to you lovely ladies and just get this off my chest a bit. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I mean, this has been truly, truly wonderful. I am... Um, yeah, I just love that you all want it to be a part of it and be so honest. I mean, it's not easy to talk about it, but it is, um, I mean, I personally think it's very healthy to talk about it. And I think the more we have these conversations, the, the more other people will have these conversations. And from just my own personal experience, it's the more I've talked about it, the better I have felt. Like I'm for sure leaving this conversation and I just feel uplifted. I'm in a great mood and it's just nice to talk to people that understand what you, how, you know, how you feel and what you've gone through. So yeah, thank you all so much for this. Um, do you guys want your uh, Instagrams added to like the bio thing under the podcast? Cause then I'll, I'll put them in there. Sure. Does it, does everyone want it? Can you just do a thumbs up? Yeah. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> Amazing. All right. Well, I will love you and leave you and have a wonderful rest of your evening. Thank you so much for this. Um, I will speak to you guys in a minute on Instagram. Thank you. Bye, guys. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.